So we're going to take a look together at Isaiah, Old Testament, chapter 63 together in our time here. And I'm going to look at the first three verses here with you guys. It says, Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments of Basra, the one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red in your garments like one who treads the, in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger, and I trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. So just over a month ago, uh, I was in Israel, and it was a great time, and I got to get this panoramic scene of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, where it's going to take place in that final battle. It's the Valley of Megiddo, where the Bible says that all the armies of the world will rally to fight against the Lord and launch an attack on Jerusalem. And then... At the end of our tour, we found ourselves in the holy city itself. And there we have the Kidron Valley, and that's what we read about in the scriptures where it talks about blood during that battle of the slain. It's going to rise up to the horse's bridle. And if I get to go again, I want to go right here to see the land of Basra or Edom to go to that cave in the rock city of Petra, where the Jews are going to flee from the invaders and wait for Messiah to come to their defense and slay their enemies. Though it's often called Armageddon, we know the final battle will be fought throughout the whole land of Israel. So, the enemy camps in the north. Jesus returns in the center to defend Jerusalem. And hostages flee to the south, and Jesus ends up coming to their rescue. And here, in Isaiah chapter 63, the prophet sees our Lord Jesus at the end of the battle. The forces that oppose the Lord have been annihilated. The Jews who fled Jerusalem have been rescued. The revolt that raged for ages between sinful man and a holy God has been decided in King Jesus wins. And Isaiah says proudly here of God's champion, look at him. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments of Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. See, you can hear the pride in the praise in Isaiah's voice. Jesus is the conquering hero, and he looks the part, glorious in his apparel. It's another way of saying of a soldier, hey, you look good in your uniform. He also, traveling in greatness of his strength. I picture Jesus here marching boldly, not cocky or strutting his stuff, but 
He strides with confidence and strength. He carries himself with dignity, with virtue, with honor. And then Isaiah asks the question, and I love this. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? You see, Jesus is fresh from battle. He's been to the winepress. His robe is covered with reddish stain. Have you ever spilt any wine or grape juice upon a white shirt or maybe a blouse? That stain isn't ever going to come out. But there is a substance that stains worse than that, and that is blood. Uh, They actually have special companies out there that come in uh, and specialize in cleaning up after crimes, the, the bloody mess that is made. So Jesus had gotten bloody. Isaiah notices the stains on his garments. He's been to the wine press of judgment. He's trampled the bodies of faithless men. And understand, Jesus offers no apologies. He issues no disclaimers or justifications for his decisive actions. Only modern man is fuzzy when it comes to God's judgment. We are the ones who, if we've excused sin, we've denied our sin, we've renamed our sin, we've ignored its penalties, we have convinced ourselves that God doesn't care, even though he's warned us so very much that he does care. You see, Jesus answers Isaiah by saying, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the people's No one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger, and I have trampled them in my fury. And it got messy. Read there, it says, Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. But here's the main point of the study. If you look closely at what else Jesus says at the end of verse 1, when Isaiah asked him, Who is he who comes from Edom? Well, Jesus, the conquering hero, identifies himself. He says, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. So here is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's just proven his supremacy. He's beaten all challengers. He's conquered all rivals. Every uprising has been put down. And there's no shame in his heart. Though his robes are all splattered with the blood of men, not one drop is innocent blood. He bears no guilt. His judgment is just. He has defended God's people and God's honor. So when Isaiah here inquires, the Messiah answers, this is I who speak in righteousness. So Jesus is just back from battle, But it's clear he's done right in every instance. In all that he performed, in all that he has spoken, Jesus acted justly, fairly, and righteously. But notice this, guys. When the fighting ends, Jesus speaks words for which he'll be remembered. He doesn't stress his glorious victory or his righteous warring or his long-awaited judgment, or his vindication of God's holiness. When the final chapter is written, 
Jesus identifies himself not as a mighty judge or a mighty conqueror, but as mighty to save. And this is the legacy that he wants to leave. It's not the skill to fight, to judge, but his ability to save. Think about that. Get this. God here, he relishes having been mighty to save. Recall with me, Isaiah chapter 9. The prophet lists this whole repertoire of names for the Messiah, for Jesus. Wonderful, counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace, and even mighty God. But when it's all over, Jesus doesn't focus on being mighty God. Isaiah 42, 13 also speaks of Jesus. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man, and he shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He is a mighty man, and he is a mighty in war. Yet, when he refers to himself, it's mighty to save. So read through the Gospels, and you'll discover that Jesus was mighty in millions of ways. He was mighty in wisdom. Jesus corrected the scholars. He confounded the skeptics. He comforted the sinners. He taught the disciples. Jesus was mighty in power. He calmed the stormy sea. He walked on the water. He multiplied the fish and the bread. He healed the sick and even raised the dead. He was also mighty in spirit. He resisted the temper, uh, tempter at the point of great weakness. He loved his enemies. He kept his composure when he was tried before Pilate. Even on the cross, what did he do? He's asking his father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Those accusers were also told in scriptures that he was mighty in discernment. With the woman that was at the well, he steered that conversation even to go deeper, didn't he? He uncovered the real needs that she had. He read the hearts of men, often knowing their very thoughts. And he was mighty in scriptures. Jesus had command of God's word. He spoke simply yet powerfully. Authority was there when he spoke unlike any other. But here in Isaiah 63, at the end of the age, after all his glorious accomplishments, Jesus doesn't identify himself as mighty in wisdom or mighty in power or mighty in spirit or mighty in discernment or mighty in the scriptures. Rather, that he is mighty to save. And this is the heart of Jesus Here's what makes him tick. If you're looking for a motive, he's definitely guilty. Jesus is mighty to save. He loves saving people, and he's really good at it. He's the best. And there's no one who can save but Christ alone. You guys remember Zacchaeus? This week I've been doing devotions with the kids, and he's... Uh, he's a character we've been looking into. He was that short man with a very long list 
of sins. He was a tax collector. He was an enemy collaborator. He cut his ties with God's people. He burned his bridges. And he decided to go out on a limb. And that's where Jesus found him. He called Zacchaeus to come down from the tree. And he invited him to dinner. Later, that man was forgiven. He paid restitution. Jesus is mighty to save. Take the woman who was caught in adultery. In the very act, there she is, naked and angry, fuming. <laughs> She's thrown there at the feet of Jesus. Yet he stared down those cruel intentions of those callous men to show this woman mercy and to give her a brand new start. Why? Because he is mighty to save. What about the lame man who was lowered through the roof? Jesus not only healed his crippled legs, but forgave his sins. Again, Jesus was mighty to save. And Mary Magdalene, she'd been a hostile for demons, seven of them. Yet Jesus, mighty to save, evicted them all. Or how about Saul of Tarsus? He was a Jewish rabbi who hated all things Jesus, especially his followers. He was in pursuit when Jesus appeared to him on the road. It was as if Jesus sat, <laughs> sat down in heaven and picked the most unlikely convert that he could find. He saw this Saul breathing threats and murder. The scriptures say that, and it says, Jesus took him. Paul himself, the chief of sinners. It'd be like Jesus, think about this. What if he would take the chief imam of Islam or the top terrorist just to show his amazing grace? Okay, And we see that he intercepts Saul. And in one glorious moment, he chooses him and he saves him and he calls him. In fact, years later, Saul, now called Paul, that's right, the Apostle Paul, explains exactly what happened. He writes in Timothy, um, 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first... Jesus Christ might show a pattern to those who are going to believe on him. So with Paul, Jesus set a president. He picked out the biggest bully on the block, whipped him, and then saved him. Paul says Jesus came to save sinners and to prove from the start that he was mighty to save, that he saved me. So I want you to know my eyes, guys, I've seen so many miracles personally. Um, I've seen the most unlikely people saved by God's grace. People who've been drugged through the dregs of this world, who had fully embraced the dark side, who've shooken their fist in the face of God himself. 
uh, people who are just mean, murderous people, people addicted and shameful and perverted and greedy and hateful, possessed by demons. I've seen people like this gloriously saved by Jesus. That is who he is. That is what he does. Miracles are still happening every day because he is mighty to save. Never think that anyone is a hopeless case, that he or she is beyond the reach of Jesus. They're not. I want us to understand saving sinners really is in Jesus' wheelhouse. Salvation is his specialty. If a person is truly sincere and they genuinely desire to change and trust Jesus with their whole heart, there is nothing that Jesus won't forgive. Sometimes when you find a forgiving soul, it's actually evidence of weakness. People can be pushovers. Some folks would rather ignore an offense than deal with the legitimate injustice. They have no moral fortitude, let's say. Forgiveness can be pathology or a sickness. They'll say they forgive anything, but they want to avoid facing it at any cost. So believe me, this is not Jesus because he speaks and he does what is right. And there is no weakness in him. Recall with me, He's glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. One day, he'll trample sinners in his fury, and there's no need for me to soften these words. They're in the Bible. It is what it is. So our Lord Jesus is nobody's pushover. So when you give him no choice, when you reject his overtures of mercy, and you harden your heart, and you stubbornly just keep going your own way, he isn't queasy. He has a heart to save, but he also has the stomach to judge. So rest assured, Jesus forgives not from weakness, but from strength, because he loves. That's why he's mighty to save. So despite our rebellion, God continues to see his image in us. For some reason, we're still the object of his love. He planned our salvation before time began. Okay? It was Jesus' job to carry it out. And he's done it so in earnest. Okay? Through his arrest, his brutal scourging, that mock trial, he bore pain and humiliations. And on the cross, Jesus took the burden of our sin upon his shoulders and he willingly laid down his life for me, for you. And our text tells us this is what will characterize Jesus until the end of time, that he is mighty to save. And realize the prowess to save does not just mean Jesus is able to reach low. But that's not at all what this means. 
Jesus is able, he is mighty to save, means his salvation extends to the furthest most. We know Hebrews 7, 25 declares that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. So it's not just about the extent from which Jesus saves, it's about the extent to which he saves. So realize, when you get to heaven, you're never going to hear the comic comment from anybody. Woo! <laughs> I'm glad I made it in by, by the skin of my teeth. That was close. No way, guys. You're not going to hear that. Nobody barely gets saved. Jesus is mighty to save. So that means the person he saves is genuinely, eternally, and fully, and freely, and deeply, and lavishly, and unequivocally saved. So if you're forgiven by the blood of Jesus, you're as forgiven as you can get. So God doesn't assign parole or offer probation. He only passes out complete pardons. It's like pregnancy. You can't be partially pregnant or barely pregnant. And likewise, you can't be barely saved or partially saved. You're either saved or you're not. Our Lord Jesus is mighty to save. That means he covers all the bases. He's attentive to all the details. Nothing slips through the cracks or escapes his notice. And his salvation is comprehensive and guaranteed. For example, Jesus forgives all of our sins. Our past sins, our present sins, the sins we haven't even committed yet. And certainly, we need to live by faith and repentance, but even our future sins have been washed by his blood. Jesus paid it all. His salvation is comprehensive. Coverage, it includes forgiveness, acceptance, peace, restoration, healing, joy, wisdom, baptism, um, the power of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts, Streets of gold, riches untold, and the list goes on and on, guys. It's all in the policy. And if you're not experiencing a full, free salvation, you're living below your privileges. Jesus provides your victory. Jesus is mighty to save. So on an overseas flight, there were two men, a Christian and a Hindu. A Hindu. They were sitting next to each other. They stirred up conversation. Eventually, it came around to religion. At one point, the Christian asked him, can you give me a single sentence, a one-liner that captures the essence of your faith? The Hindu said, yes. We are all part of the problem, and we're all part of the solution. The Christian thought for a long time about the man's answer. Finally, he said, would you like to hear a one-liner that captures the essence of the Christian faith? And the Hindu answered, yes. And the Christian replied, we are all part of the problem, but there is only one man who is the solution, and his name is Jesus. It's interesting. 
what Jesus says to Isaiah when he comes up from Basra. I have trotted the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. The fury he unleashes, the righteous anger Jesus demonstrates will be very personal. No one will be with him. And when he brings judgment, he will do it alone. All along, Jesus is taking our rebellion personally. And what irony that millions upon millions of cries for justice that have been ringing in the ears of God for centuries now will finally be satisfied by the one who is mighty to save. Jesus can be trusted with God's judgment because he and he alone has proven to be mighty to save. While on earth, Jesus went out of his way to get people involved in his work. When he healed the sick, he often recruited others to help. When he raised Lazarus, he had other folks move the stone. When he multiplied the loaves and the fish, he used a boy's lunch. Jesus was always involving others in his exploits. But there are two things Jesus chooses to do solo. He hangs on the cross to author our salvation. And he treads out the wine press to bring God's ultimate judgment. Jesus did the former so he could minimize the latter. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for the things spoken here by the prophet Isaiah. God, we know this day will happen. We don't know exactly when, but we believe we're living in these last days. That things are going to be coming to a head, to an end pretty soon. And we're in this time of grace. And you are still the same. Mighty to save as you were 2,000 years ago, as you declare yourself to be at the end. And we would pray, Father, that all of our faith, all of our hope, God, would be on you and you alone, because you alone are Savior. We thank you so much, God, for who you are, for your character, your attributes, how you love, how you save, God. You desire that none should perish. And even now, I know your Holy Spirit's knocking on people's hearts. God, it's time for us to stop running. It's time for us to bow the knee to confess you as Lord, to repent and believe upon you, Jesus, the one who is mighty to save. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you got a cracker and a cup with you. We are going to participate in communion together, and I pray that we never tire of this. It is good to remember. You see, the bread it speaks of his, Jesus' broken body. We remember that. And the wine of his poured out blood. So we never take that either for granted. So Father, as we partake here, we thank you for your life. We thank you for the blood that you shed upon that cross 2,000 years ago. You are a good God. We remember, we thank you, and we believe that's our common faith. 
And I thank you so much that we can come together before your table and remember together. So let's partake of the bread. And the cup. One day, guys, Jesus is going to return. He's going to right all wrongs and put sinners in their place and usher in his kingdom of righteousness. Even in the midst of it all, Jesus is going to still and always be known as the one who is mighty to save. So with that in mind, I would encourage you now, get up out of your seat and stand right now. And we're going to close together in worship.